were journeying through Israel, literally, literally. Um, last week we, we packed our bags and we grabbed our passports and we, we boarded a flight to the Holy Land and we spent a better part of a day in a beautiful, enchanting little village that's been there for thousands of years called Capernaum, Capernaum. And the message that Jesus gave the people there on the shoreline of Capernaum was, uh, don't be afraid, just believe. And he healed a woman who had been sick for 12 years, and he rose from the dead a young girl. Well, that message of don't be afraid, just believe, was not limited to the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, but he took the message out onto the sea itself, and that's where we're going today. You want to go on a boat ride? Over the recent years, or over the many years, I've, I've had the opportunity to make many trips to the Holy Land. And uh, on a recent one, knowing that my number of trips are probably going to be not as many in the future, we thought, well, let's just capture these messages. And so we enlisted the support of a, of a video crew. And they went with us everywhere we went. And the consequences, I'm able to, to bring just a little bit of, of Israel to you and today we go out on the Sea of Galilee and, and in this particular message you're going to see some familiar faces, primarily the face of Travis Eads who was leading worship on that trip and did such a phenomenal job. Located about 60 miles north of Jerusalem, the Sea of Galilee is Israel's largest freshwater lake. It rests at almost 700 feet below sea level, which makes it the lowest freshwater lake in the whole world. The water in the sea comes from snowmelt and, and runoff from the local mountains, which combine with the headwaters of the Jordan River to fill up a, a geographic bowl in the shape of a harp. In fact, the original name or the most ancient name given to Galilee is Lake Canaseret, which may be as a result of its shape because the word for harp in Hebrew is kenor. The Sea of Galilee is surrounded on all sides by hills, and on the eastern side, these hills can reach a height of 2,000 feet, and when that cold air blows out of those Golan Heights onto the Sea of Galilee, the warmer weather, storms can happen. It was a lake of life in the days of Jesus. The people lived near it, fished on it, traveled over it, drank from it. However, Jesus caused quite a stir one day when he walked upon it. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. 
Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went walking to them on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. They said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. And he said, it is I. Be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind and he saw the waves, he was afraid and he sunk like a stone. Locato translation. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When he got into the boat, the wind ceased. Those who were in the boat came and worshipped him. And they said, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Sea of Galilee is relatively small, isn't it? I mean, when we read about it in Sunday school as a kid, I pictured it as big as the Pacific Ocean. 13 miles long at its longest, some seven and a half miles wide at its widest. Yet this diminutive state of the sea makes it more subjective to those winds that howl down upon the water out of the Golan Heights, turning this relatively calm body of water into what? A blender of 10-foot waves up and down, up and down. It can happen several times over the course of a winter. And that's exactly what happened to the followers. The lake became a popcorn puffer, lifting that boat, spinning it around, plopping it down. Lightning zigzagged through the dark sky. Thunder roared, thunder popped. And the disciples screamed. Galileans came to expect the storms. I'm thinking that Matthew, the tax collector, is wondering what in the world he's gotten himself into. And his arms are wrapped around that mast and his cheek is pressed right up against the wood and he's shivering from the cold. And the fishermen among them, they know exactly what's about to happen. And so they start rowing. They start rowing. They row, row, row the boat. But they do not get very far because they're rowing into the wind. And that night has come as that day came with turbulence. 
Life comes with storms. Life comes with storms. The atmospheric conditions of this fallen world create a low pressure system that generates struggles and stress and challenges. I'm not telling you anything when I tell you no one gets through life scot-free. No one. No one. Not the old, not the young, not the rich, not the poor, not the healthy, not the unhealthy. Everybody has to face their share of storms. That person sitting to your right, they know what a storm is like. And that person in front of you, they know a storm or two. And that person to your left, yeah. And they've had to zip up the jacket and pull out the umbrella. And many of you are facing a storm right now. Peter and his fellow storm riders, they knew they were in trouble. They knew what these storms could do. They had weathered them before. Sunlight was a distant memory. Rain fell in buckets. Winds with the sails. And that boat lurched like a kite in a March wind. Matthew gives us the best description. The boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Could a more discouraging sentence be written? The boat was now in the middle, not near the coast, but in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves. Not just riding on the waves, but tossed, lifted 10 feet up into the air and then plopped down into the valley between the next wave. They held on because here comes another wave. They could feel it. They couldn't see it because it was in the middle of the night and the wind was contrary. No matter how hard they rode, they could not make any progress. Has anyone seen Jesus? What do you mean? He told us to get in the boat. We only did what he said he, he told us to do. He said, get in the boat, didn't he? Say, yeah, he said it. Where is he? I don't know. If only Jesus were here. I mean, it's one thing to be in a storm because you disobeyed. It's another thing to be in a storm because you did what you thought was right. And here you're in a storm anyway. But for, hang on to your hat, nine hours. Not, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven, not eight, but nine hours. They fought the storm. They couldn't get from one side to the next. But then after nine hours, the most remarkable thing happens. The disciples spot someone coming on the water. And they assume it's a ghost and they cry out with fear. Again, about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. They were scared out of their wits, one translation says. A ghost, they said, crying out in terror. They didn't expect Jesus to come to them this way. Neither did you. 
we expect him to come in the form of peaceful hymns. A nice morning devotional. Easter Sunday. Or a quiet retreat. We never, never expect Jesus to come in the midst of a cancer diagnosis. We never, never expect that we'll see him most clearly when we're bankrupt. We never, never expect that just as the man breaks your heart, Christ enters the broken places. We never expect Jesus to come in the middle of the storm, but that's when he comes because that is when he is most seen. Jesus responds to their fear with an invitation that is worthy of inscription on every church cornerstone. Here it is transliterated, not translated, but word for word for word. Here's what the disciples heard. Courage, I am. Fear not. Percussive, staccato. Courage. He speaks courage into the storm. I believe he is not just calling for courage, he is releasing supernatural courage courage most translations have Jesus saying it is I or I am here the literal translation is simply I am I am so Jesus here is not just announcing his presence on the sea. He is announcing his authority over the sea. I am. I am. And the waves perk up. I am. And the winds begin to listen. I am. And the lightning retreats. Because I am is here. I am. I wonder if you had allowed Jesus to proclaim his name over your problem. I am is spoken over your cancer. I am is spoken over your sadness and grief. I am is spoken over your concern for your children. I am. Is anybody going to help me? God says, I am. Is anyone listening? God says, I am. Is anyone coming? God says, I am. I am. I am came to the disciples on the storm. And with these words, Jesus declared himself to be the commander of the storm. Peter got the point. I know we pick on Peter. But Peter understood that all of a sudden the commander of the storm was present. That's why the scripture says, Lord, if you command me, if you command me to come to you on the water, I will. Peter knew who was commanding the shots. And so Jesus did. And since Peter would rather be out of the boat with Christ than in the boat without him. 
Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked on the water to Jesus. As long as Peter's focus was on Christ, he had courage. But the moment, the very moment, he looked somewhere besides the face of Christ, he was afraid. And he began to sink. Some years ago, I had a diagnosis that gave me some fear. I've had some issues with my heart over the last couple of years or a few years. But a few years ago, there was one situation I had in which my heart would not stop beating so fast. I felt like I was running a marathon all day long. My heart rate was somewhere between 110 and 120 all day long. And it was like I was sending Morse code. And I was just exhausted. And finally, I, I got an appointment with the cardiologist. He checked me out. And he said, Max, I want you to go sit in my office. I'll come in and talk to you. You know, when I was in high school, I didn't like being sent to the office. And as a grown-up, I still don't like being sent to the office. But I went in and I sat in the office of the cardiologist. And I looked up on the wall and I saw one diploma after another. This diploma from that university. Uh, somebody else gave him a second degree from that university. Over here, his wife gave him the third degree. <laughs> he had diplomas everywhere. And the more I saw his diplomas, the better I felt. In comes the nurse. She hands me a sheet of paper. And I read words like atrial fibrillation arrhythmia, stroke, blood clot, and I felt myself begin to sink. And I realized I could either stare at the problem or I could stare at the accomplishments of the physician. And so I put the sheet to the side and I said, I think I'll read the diplomas. You will never lead a life absent problems, but you will always have a life in which you have the presence of the I am. So the I am shows up in the middle of your problems and he says, let me show you my diplomas. Let me show you who I am. Let me show you what I have done. And the Hebrew writer says, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Whatever it takes, my friends, pay closer attention to what God has done so that you do not drift away from it. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, so patient with Peter, extended his hand somewhere into these very waters and he pulled a sinking Peter up. And then within a moment, somehow the two of them supernaturally were in a boat. And the minute that Jesus was in the boat, the storm was stilled. Jesus wants to get in the boat of your struggles. He wants to get in the boat of your problems. He wants to get into the middle of it because he knows that once you face 
him, you will have courage to face your problems. If your problems are too big, your vision is too low, lift up your eyes and focus on him. Amen. We're going to lift up our eyes and we're going to let Christ be our focus instead of our problems. So that might be the reason God brought you here today. It's just to say, you know, I love you, but boy, you sure been looking at your problems a lot lately. Why don't you lift up your eyes and look at your provider, the peacemaker, the commander, the overseer, whatever it takes.